And so it's not uncommon to see that there's a, this dynamic nature to a client's capacity for risk. You know, they have done a good job saving around 900,000, but I mean, frankly, they, they have a pretty healthy lifestyle too. So while there's some safety margin in their plan, it's not like there was a ton of it. So we had to be pretty darn precise and really had to execute well in terms of their financial planning. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's another edition of Retire Smarter coming your way. Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield. You can find us online by going to truewealthdesign.com to listen to past episodes and learn more about Kevin and the team. And I'm excited for today, Kevin, because we're doing a little bit of, uh, it's like show and tell back when we were kids in school. We've done a lot of uh, a lot of telling on the show recently, covering a lot of details about the coronavirus and about proper planning techniques and some of the changes and adjustments that you guys have been looking at. And we're going to have the show part on today's show and get some great examples and some case studies of folks that you've worked with and kind of the an inside look at some of the actual moves that you guys are doing to help people through this time and to put together proper plans. So this is kind of a, kind of a fun episode. I always love the storytelling element of uh, when we get together. Yeah, you know, whenever you're going through and, and whenever somebody works with us or, or any advisor, or any professional service provider for that matter, or even physician, uh, you know, you can't, um, we work with a lot of smart clients, but th- this isn't what they do. Uh, and even though many have the aptitude to be able to learn how to do it, I can't teach uh, all the all the things that we need to do and know and perform for clients um, to somebody you know, that I've learned over uh, you know 15 years of doing this. I've probably worked the equivalent of 30 years, just given how much I've worked. But um, but you can't just simply teach everybody that um, you I mean, can't hope, teach experience you you can't and, and and not only experience but wisdom too and know when something really matters or how to interpret something in light of new information you know it's like when i go to the dentist several years ago um i had uh, a tear in my rotator cuff from playing volleyball and uh you know one one orthopedic surgeon that i respected told me that i had to have surgery to repair it uh, i got a second opinion and um he said you know you really don't um he said you're going to be fine you can't be doing this overhand sports stuff anymore go play golf or something uh but but you're going to be fine you're probably going to have to have it at some point uh, but now's not the time and so i had two people that i respected that no matter how much i went online or how much i spoke to them i wasn't going to be able to really comprehend what they know and what they do from all their years of formal education, from residency, from fellowships to experience, you know, actually performing the surgeries and seeing the results of it afterwards. And so ultimately, it, frankly, it comes down to trust and, um, and kind of evaluating the situation too. I mean, the worst case in there was, you know, I don't have the surgery now. And then, you know, the second guy was wrong and, and I do have to have it. Um, well, 12, 14 years later, it's been fine. Um, so I had similar experience with getting wisdom teeth pulled out. I had uh, uh, three different uh, dentists that I personally know tell me three different things what I needed to do with my wisdom teeth. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this isn't good. Um, so I, believe me, I, I get it when somebody's kind of tuning in uh, to this or coming into our office. And uh, some of the things that we may be saying may sound good. Um, but you know, there's a lot of trust that uh, anybody puts into a professional service person that they work with. 
And we've talked about this in the past, but you know, people, uh, these people that are providing advice that are providing hopefully leadership during times like this need to be competent and need to be trustworthy. And either of those two things aren't present, you know, the, frankly, the client can get hurt. So I think through having the podcast and, and certainly we do, I've been writing for, for more than a decade now, but I think it makes it certainly more transparent and clearer as far as, you know, Hey, what is our competency? What is it that we do? And uh, the trustworthiness is something that's built over time. Um, certainly you kind of get it on a, an implied basis when you get a referral from a client to a friend or a family member or from a you know an attorney or accountant that we work with, you know, that we've been working with for a long time, but somebody gets introduced to us, you know, certainly people get to probably know me a bit uh, from lis- listening to the podcast uh, over all these episodes that we've been doing. But um, this is really, you know, the time where, we have to roll up our sleeves, not only do the work, but we really have to execute and we really have to show some leadership. And it's been happening at breakneck speed. You know, the it's retirement planning. It's it's an ING word. Um, you know, my wife was uh, uh, an English teacher and uh, she's got her graduate degree in composition. And uh, I asked her I said, before the episode recording here, I said, now, that's a present participle, right, hon? And uh, she's like, yes, yes, good job, honey. <laughs> and <laughs> so I, maybe I got a brownie point with my wife, or maybe she just thought I should have known that and should have asked the question in the first place. I'm not sure. Um, so it's always better than a dangling participle. Don't <laughs> uh, yeah, don't ask me what that is. Um, but <laughs> but it's an ongoing thing. It's, uh, it's a continuous form of a verb. Um, and things have been happening quite quickly. So, you know, going back through the uh, 40 or 50 episodes that we've done now, we've been picking up a lot of new listeners and, you know, you may be just coming in, you know, at this episode, or maybe you've listened to some others, but, you know, frankly, if you go back uh, episodes three through 10, we did a whole series on what we call retirement rules gone awry, or just a lot of rules of thumb on retirement planning, uh, either aren't accurate, um, aren't likely to apply or really designed for uh, frankly, for people that probably aren't tuning into this podcast, it is something that's customizable, uh, the whole retirement planning process, as well as the outcomes from it. Uh, and what actually w- was born out of that uh, is really what we take clients through today, something called our Retire Smarter Solution. And uh, we actually have a podcast coming up on that soon, but it's basically the whole our retirement planning process kind of packaged together to make it really clear and show clients, you know, here's what all the things that we have to do to make sure that we're going to help you retire smarter. So if you haven't, you know, listened to those episodes, or even if you have, it's probably not a bad time to go back and listen to some of those about the dynamic nature of things that we find ourselves in and really what are some of the things that maybe need to be relooked at in your retirement plan right now. The investment markets have been changing wildly on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, we went through an investing process series in episodes 27 through 30 uh, that really just talked about our process. Uh, we had a call with a prospective client earlier this week that was interviewing us and a couple other firms. And, and one of his questions was, you know, Hey, what's, what are you guys doing differently now um, that we're, that we're in this? And, and I said, you know, the process is the same. It's just the speed with which you need to execute it in light of the new information and the new inputs that are being fed into it uh, is just happening quite quickly. So the plan needs to be updated. We need to look at that. The investments are continually being you know, monitored and new inputs feeding into there. Um, certainly there's some other things that we may need to do from just a prudent management standpoint of rebalancing or tax loss harvesting. 
but things are just changing very quickly. And then uh, we did a retirement income planning series where we kind of looked at two broad camps of, you know, having more of a, a probability-based approach using investments uh, versus, you know, more of a guaranteed-based approach using insurance products. And uh, as any longtime listener to the show knows that yeah, it's not like I completely disdain uh, the insurance-based approach. We all you know, have social security or a pension that has some guaranteed based elements to it. I'm generally not a big fan for buying more of it through uh, like a fixed or indexed annuity or variable annuity or something like that. And what we made the case for was having more of a dynamic approach to to having this probability-based, investing-based approach to generating your retirement income. Uh, and those dynamic things are, you know, hey, what are market expectations? And then what does your investment allocation need to look like in light of those expectations, as well as in light of what your plan, a financial plan looks like, because uh, we're matching those investments back to, you know, your financial plan and make sure that we can meet your cash flows and maintain your lifestyle. And then, uh, you know, if we need to have a dynamic nature to our spending, um, you know, if things do go awry, if we are, you know, if this coronavirus thing continues to protract longer and longer, you know, we may need to go ahead and cut back spending a little bit for certain clients, uh, but we need to have a preordained plan to go ahead and, and think through that and then execute during times of stress. So those are things that um, I think anybody, I've, we, I've encouraged even the other advisors in our office to just go back and re-listen to that. I think it's helpful just to kind of get that check as far as, hey, you know, we talked about all this stuff, we just need to execute it now. And when I was preparing for today, Frankly, I, I had a smile on my face when I was signing on, Walter, and it wasn't just because I was, you know, getting ready to talk with you, you but talk to me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean it was certainly part of that reason. Um, but I, I went back and uh, looked at a client uh, that we've been working with since 2011, and you know, of course, as I, as I always do when I'm on the podcast and talking about a client situation, you got to change up a few things. But um, we'll use kind of the prototypical John and Jane here, and. John and Jane are 69 and 68, respectively, uh, currently. You know, so in 2020, as we sit here today in, in early April, uh, they've been clients since 2011. John was working and retired in 2014. Jane was taking care of the household uh, for, for many more years and retired before him. I would, you know, conservative or, or aggressive, those are all kind of qualitative words that um, I prefer more of a mathematical definition, but they would describe themselves as more conservative investors. You know, they've never had uh, a high, you know, a really high uh, allocation to stocks. I mean, we started working with them. Uh, we had about a 50% stock portfolio for them. So, you know, he was, we became clients in 2011, um, conveyed to us that, hey, you know, we're conservative. So again, we kind of have a more balanced approach for them, which was more importantly, in my view, consistent with their financial plan, both in terms of how much risk they could afford to take, as well as in terms of meeting the required return that they really needed to make their plan work. So he got ready, retired in 2014, you know, back then in 2014, I mean, it was pretty well um, at that point. We were out from 2008, 2009. When he first became a client in 2011, there was still a lot of concern about a double dip recession. You know, that was the year that the Greek debt crisis happened, uh, that the U.S. defaulted um, technically on the debt ceiling and on their debt. Um, returns weren't great in 2011 in the stock market. There was still a lot of concern. And then there was a lot of money sloshing around. And so there was people were still concerned at that point in time as well about 
uh, inflation and rising interest rates. And so there's a lot of concern kind of coming into it. But as we work through their planning process with them, you know, we we really, frankly, we kind of arm wrestled them a little bit on, you know, delaying Social Security. Um, That is something that that they have done. And John's getting ready to start Social Security here at his maximum benefit later this year at age 70. It's going to kick in at about uh, $42,000 a year for him. Uh, He did, uh, although this is not an option any longer taken away a few years ago because probably it's a little bit too good to be true but um, we did avail ourselves of this planning strategy from for many many years and for john and jane included where we had jane file for her benefits and then john did a restricted application just to take um, a spousal benefit on jane's benefit meanwhile deferring his own to to age 70 and so we've been doing that now for for several years but you know they retired in 2014 Jane had a fairly, um, relatively speaking, in terms of what they spend per year, relatively small Social Security benefit. And then, again, when John started his, he got half of that. So they've been taking a lot of money out from their portfolio now for, for you know six years or so. And when they started working with us, well, when they started in 2014, at the beginning of 2014, uh, again, the year that John retired, uh, their portfolio was around 900000 and so, you know, they started, you know, taking money out, uh, had to get used to pulling money out and, and having that, their portfolio, their savings, go ahead and recreate their paycheck. Um, at this point, Social Security hadn't started at all for them. And uh, so it was doing 100% of the work. So, you know, when you think about in terms of income planning, um, anything from Social Security or anything from if you are still working in any way, your earned income is going to be used first and foremost. Uh, but then as you kind of, you know, look at and see, you know, here's what we want to spend. Here's what we can afford to spend. You know, Social Security is not really providing that much or, or anything right now, given the age that we retired. So our portfolio has to do all the work. So when when John retired in 2014, and stock valuations by many metrics had, had gotten more expensive, you know, U.S. market particularly had done quite well. 2013, it was up more than, you know, 30, nearly 40% in some parts of the market. And we said, hey, you know, your portfolio has got to do a lot of work here over the next few years until you go ahead and claim Social Security. You know, we've had good returns in the stock market. Uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, you know, reduce the stock allocation a little bit? So they were around 50% when we first started working together in stocks. And then uh, when the portfolio really started doing some of that work and after the market had become much more expensive in 2013, we reduced the target down to 40%. So... 40% in stocks, 60% in bonds. Uh, and basically, when you think of that, uh, that 60% in bonds, uh, if all they did was kind of spend down bonds first, it could have bridged the gap until uh, when John was going to start Social Security at age 70. So I think that's really important. You know, a lot of times when you go through a financial planning process, uh, a lot of the tools we use, you'll hear something called like a Monte Carlo simulation. And uh, ours looks like a speedometer. And basically, simply put, you want to be in the green zone. You don't want to be in the red zone, but you want to be in the green zone or better. And that's good. And mathematically, it's a great way to go ahead and model uncertainty in the future and 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 give a client advice as, as to, you know, hey, is that lifestyle, is that spending rate sustainable? And um, but it's still a little complicated. I like to break it down even further and just kind of use that sort of bond bridge analogy that I just made. You know, hey, you got 60 percent of your money in bonds. 
here's how much we're projecting you're going to spend, you know, each of the next years until say social security kicks in. And then obviously the portfolio is going to have to do a lot less work at that point in time. So as long as we can kind of build this bridge until when this big income stream is going to come in, you know, down the road, then, you know, you don't really have to worry so much about any gyrations in between. And we have several clients where we've been doing a similar strategy for, you know, it's not, it's not boilerplate, everything's customizable, but this is what made the most sense for, for John and Jane and what we've been executing for years. So when you look at what they were pulling out, uh, so 2015, they pulled out more than 9% of their portfolio. It went up to as much as like 10 or maybe even 11% in a year. You know, even with the best laid plans, there's still some unforeseen expenses that may pop up from time to time. Uh, you know, one year was, one or two years were higher than what we were planning. Another year was a little bit lower. But in an aggregate, they were really pretty much on in line with what we were expecting. So we had done a good job up front and really understanding their lifestyle, modeling you know, what it was going to cost. And they did a good job kind of keeping with it. And, and you know, even though as kind of things kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit in their life as it does in all of our lives, they were really on track when you looked at it over a period of years. And when you hear like a 9%, 10% withdrawal rate, Walter, how does that strike you? That sounds a little high. Yeah. So, you know, one of the retirement rules gone awry that we did was uh, about the 4% withdrawal rate. And um, it's kind of simple. It's good starting point to think about, you know, what is sustainable amount that you can spend, you know, kind of pull out 4% and increase it with inflation each year. Uh, but for most clients and something we talked about in that prior episode was it, it falls short. You know, you can, there's different ways you can go ahead and work into like a social security deferral strategy, like we're talking about here. But for most of our clients, it just, it doesn't really apply. Um, you know, for maybe a handful or two, it does. Uh, but in general, we just find that it falls short. So, you know, they've been having this really twice the sustainable withdrawal rate for many, many years here, uh, but they're still fine and they're going to be fine. Uh, their allocation changed. Uh, again, they were about 50% stocks while they were working uh, as stock prices got higher uh, and they got, and some of the stress tests in their plan uh, became more severe because when you're starting to look at say, okay, hey, I'm not going to be contributing any more to these accounts. I'm actually going to be using them to live on. And oh, by the way, I'm deferring social security. When you start stress testing uh, somebody's financial plan, what you're going to find is, you know, the, the higher risk portfolios in those stress tests are, are going to look pretty bad. And so it's not uncommon to see that there's a, this dynamic nature to a client's capacity for risk. You know, they have done a good job saving around 900,000, but I mean, frankly, they, they have a pretty healthy lifestyle too. So while there's some safety margin in their plan, it's not like there was a ton of it. So we had to be pretty darn precise and really had to execute well in terms of their financial planning. And so in 2014, again, we kind of lowered uh, their stock allocation, lowered their risk. And uh, as the market continued to go higher, it, it, 2014, 2015 weren't necessarily great years uh, in the stock market. But when uh, we had tax relief in 2017, kind of gave another boost and we had good returns, particularly in, in 17, 2019 was great. But uh, as things kept going higher and got more expensive, we trimmed that stock allocation even further. So we got our target down to about 35%. So you know, again, if we think about kind of the dynamic nature here, you know, retirement plan is always, you know, it's always a continuous thing. It's that present participle that we talked about. And then as we, the investing process is always dynamic as well. Um, inputs are always changing. And then you get into the, the income planning, 
uh, same thing there too. I mean, all this has to be kind of matched back. And if we need to, um, not only our expectations changing and our allocation changing in light of that in the retirement plan, but we may need to go ahead and change our spending. It could be a good adjustment. Maybe things worked out really well and you can afford to spend more, but it could be the other way too. So we got to keep our eye on all those balls. Uh, so John and Jane entered 2020 with, uh, I'm just going to use round numbers. It was a little bit more, but around $600,000 in their account. He had 35% of that uh, in stocks or about 210,000 and roughly about 65% in bonds. So about just under 400,000 in bonds. So this year they're going to pull out uh, about another $70,000, you know, from their account. Uh, and so if they, all that they were going to do is just pull that from the bonds, they're still going to have more than $300,000 in bonds in their account at the end of 2020. John goes ahead and starts social security. $42,000 starts coming in from Social Security. Jane is actually going to get a little bit of a bump as well because her spousal benefit is going to be a little bit more than what she's currently receiving on her own. So collectively, they're only going to have to take out about twenty dollars or $30,000 from their portfolio next year and for the foreseeable future. So let's just call it thirty. So if they end, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of numbers here, and hopefully this is, Walter, you might have to provide some color or simplification or, or ask me if anything is unclear, but. Well, I know, I know all of our listeners listen to every podcast at least three or four times. So yes, it'll, it'll sink in by the third or fourth time. <laughs> all right. So 600, let me just recap, 600,000 going into 2020. Only a little bit more than 200000 of that in stocks and the rest in bonds. So they pulled down uh, roughly about uh, 70000 uh, this year, a little bit more than that. Um, certainly stocks have sold off this year, so we're not selling stocks. Uh, frankly, we're, we're buying more of them uh, that we did in March. Uh, but they, they end up the end of the year with somewhere around $300,000 in bonds. Social Security kicks in. Uh, they're getting about an, another 50000 from there, and they need about $30,000 from the portfolio going forward. So if they do end the year at 300000 in bonds and uh, they need 30000 per year going forward, then they, you know, 30 into 300 is 10 times. So basically, they have the next 10 years of spending in bonds. So whenever they look at their retirement plan, Quite frankly, the results, the Monte Carlo results, don't look all that fantastic right now. The market just sold off, you know, it was down, you know, more than 30%, uh, but it's bounced back uh, a good bit here over the last couple of weeks. It certainly may go down some more. But when we actually look within their plan and look how we're actually going to manage their distribution plan, well, we're going to have this dynamic nature and we're going to go ahead and, and use the bonds. And not only that, now that they've made that bridge to Social Security, and uh, the Social Security benefits are going to be pro providing a majority of what they need for their spending. Frankly, we may actually go ahead and increase our percentage in stocks. We may say, okay, hey, we made it through these, these really risky years. We made it through with flying colors, even though we had a 9, 10, 11% distribution rate for, for many of those years. Now that we've kind of got through those, those kind of those crunch years early in retirement and Social Security is providing a lot more and now our portfolio has to do a lot less of the work, frankly, we can be actually a little bit more aggressive with stocks. And oh, by the way, they just went down by 30%. So you know, rather than having, say, 10 years in bonds, maybe we go ahead and we reduce that to, say, five years in bonds uh, that we'll leave in there. And we'll buy the rest in stocks and, and, and just go ahead and take a little bit more risk, but be, do it in a smart way. We're not really putting their lifestyle at risk. We're just being opportunistic in light of the new information that we have, in light of the changing expectations, in light of the dynamic nature of their planning, and as well as their investment allocation. So what does this mean for them? Well, 
I mean, it could mean a number of things, but first and foremost, if they have five years of additional spending in bonds, we've already took a big hit already this year. You know, most people are saying that this is going to be a time bound thing that, hey, once this vaccine is out there, then certainly we're going to be coming out of this uh, and probably sooner. Uh, who knows uh, how quickly life is going to get back to normal, but you know, we don't know, but it does seem to be temporal. Uh, so, you know, if you have five years, personally, I feel quite comfortable. You know, we're going to have this conversation with them. If they don't feel comfortable and if they want to play it closer to the vest and just kind of stay where they've at and where they're at and where, what's worked for them, that's completely fine. Uh, you know, certainly bonds have, uh, generally speaking, done well and forward looking, we can expect less for them. Stocks have gone down quite a bit. And so by and large, we can expect more from them. You know, Vanguard just came out uh, earlier in the week. They did a, they do a 10 year forecast for expected returns every year. And when you looked at that expectation last year, uh, they said U.S. stocks would do somewhere around 4%. Well, they revised that expectation in light of what's happened recently. And they said, no, oh, hey, in light of this, because stocks went on sale now over the next 10 years, we think you, know, you can probably expect around six, six and a half from U.S. stocks. So again, you don't know the path it's going to take in the short term. You need to have you know safe money to go ahead and build that bridge, to go ahead and make sure that your lifestyle is protected. But we need to have a dynamic. We need to have an ongoing and continuous nature in what we're doing from a planning perspective, from an investing perspective, and from a retirement income generation perspective. And I was looking over this for John and Jane. I mean, it's you're kind of we've been in the thick of it now for several weeks bad news all over the place. You know, certainly we've been incredibly busy. I'm getting, uh, I use a time tracking app and I see how much screen time I'm putting on the computer. I'm like, oh, that's why I feel this way. And then, you know, I'm preparing for our conversation this morning, Walter, and looking back over what we've done for, for John and Jane for the last 10 years. And I, I just couldn't be happier. I mean, it's worked out incredibly well for them. We had a plan. We executed the plan. All the stuff that we talked about, I mean, we've performed and I think we've performed quite well. And even though things are bad out right now, John and Jane are fine. It's our job to remind them of all these things that we've done for them, all the smart decisions that they've made. You know, we provided the advice, but they made the decisions. It's their plan. And we've gotten through this this far and they're out of the red zone. They're, they're going to be fine. You know, they can go ahead and continue to spend on down the bonds if they want, or we can be a little bit more opportunistic and actually take a little bit more stock risk now. But frankly, they don't have anything to worry about. And that and seeing that and seeing all this come out in practice and not just theory, going through and having the experience and then having the wisdom to go ahead and, and not only design it, but then guide them through it and execute. I mean, just put a big smile on my face. And so it just kind of coming into the, the call today, not only was I excited to talk to you with you, Walter, but I was just really happy to and excited to share the story with John and Jane and, and about the work that we've done for them. And most importantly, that they frankly don't even have to worry about anything. You know, there's still going to be concern. Health is a concern for everybody, particularly for the age group that most of our clients are in. But they don't, they can focus on what they can control. They can stay in the house. They can stay with their family. They can be healthy. And, but they don't have to worry about their money because they did the proper planning and we executed. And frankly, now, because we've done that, they have a lot more opportunity going forward. It's uh, funny to me that you are, you know, obviously very excited about, you know, how things have turned out for them and where they stand and, you know, how the plan and all the pieces came together pretty much perfectly to weather this storm, to keep them in a good position, you know, all the things, right? But this isn't a unique story. I mean, you've done this for many, many, many people over the years. So it's neat to see that you still get enjoyment seeing the plan come together. 
I, you know, for me personally, I'm always, um, my personality profile, it's, uh, it's like, uh, my number one strengths finder is achiever. And the executive summary on that is, you know, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. You start fresh every day and have to prove your worth. And, um, so it's, for me, it's easy always to continue to look forward, but I, we've talked about this in a prior episode uh, when we did the new year's resolutions and just looking back. And I think he, particularly in times like this on, on a number of different reasons, you know, you have to look back, you have to be grateful for what we have being trapped in a house with our families. Um, certainly is not the worst thing in the world. I think we're pretty fortunate if that's the biggest worry that we have. Uh, and then looking back from a professional standpoint on, Hey, this is what we, you know, thought made sense and looking back and really being critical of our work and seeing it play out in practice has worked really well. So, uh, you know, hopefully this story has been helpful and illustrative of, you know, what this dynamic nature of retirement planning, investment planning, and retirement income generation looks like and connects some of the dots. Uh, My goal is to share other stories that are like this, get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts on the retirement income generation, talk a little bit more about maybe somebody who's earlier in retirement or still working and just show, you know, hey, this isn't theory, this is practice, and this is how it needs to be executed, particularly through times like this when things are so challenging in the markets and things are changing so quickly. So that's what we're gonna be getting into in the next few episodes. Um, But the other thing I'll mention is, you know, we did have a lot of people, we continue to have a lot of people just with questions reaching out to us. Uh, we do have four certified financial planners on staff. We do have capacity. Um, a lot of my time is really dedicated to portfolios and, and to certain client work. Um, but again, we have four CFPs on staff. And this is the time where people can make really big and bad mistakes and frankly cause themselves to have to work longer, maybe go back to work, uh, spend less. Uh, none of those things are good. And uh, none of this is a panacea. It's not a silver bullet, but you know, it, we do have a prudent process that you can follow and then we need to execute. Uh, if you're doing that blind, if you're flying blind, it's just not a good way to fly. Um, but if you have questions, we're here to help. Uh, and I mean that sincerely. Yes, we're in business. We're in business to make a profit. Uh, but first and foremost, like we're here to help. It has to be a win-win. And this is the time where people really, really need help. And so that's why we stepped up doing the podcast weekly. Um, we're kind of having an all-hands-on-deck approach. But we are here to help. If you need that assistance, need that help, a couple of different ways that you can tap into it. You can call the team at True Wealth Design. The number is easy to remember, 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. And online at truewealthdesign.com. Click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. Again, that's truewealthdesign.com, and click on the Are We Right For You button, and we'll put all the contact information in the show notes of today's episode. So feel free to go check that out, read it, learn about it, and uh, go back and listen to some of the old episodes that we talked about at the beginning of the show today uh, for more background on proper planning techniques, uh, making sure that you're viewing your financial and retirement planning in the proper light. So much great content on this show. So do invite you to go back and listen to some of the older episodes. Although the world has certainly changed around us, Kevin, a lot of the things that we've talked about on previous episodes continue to apply today and will continue to apply in the future as well. Uh, some, some basics, some uh, solid planning techniques and thought processes that won't change just because we've had a market downturn and are in the middle of this crisis. So go stand by that, uh, that, that great advice and tap into it today. Just go check out all the previous episodes and listen 
to your heart's content. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other of the uh, several other popular apps that are out there. In fact, if you you know see us not on a particular app, let us know, and we'll get the show on there for you. Kevin, thanks for the help this week. Always enjoyed the conversation with you. The show and tell went well. Thanks for showing us how the planning all comes together, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Thanks, Walter. All right, we appreciate it. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to talking to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.